All right, hello, and welcome to RealCom's second webinar in the Top of Mind series. I'm Chuck Nicewanger, president of NiceNets Consulting, your RealCom host for today's webinar, where we talk about what does the future of work look like? I think you'll find this very interesting. Thank you for turning into the live session or viewing this as a recording. The format for this webinar is the dynamic panel discussion, so there are fewer slides and a lot more interactive discussion. I always recommend taking notes and I do that, especially for this one. Uh, but before we get started, let me go over a few housekeeping items to help you have a great webinar experience. Again, thank you to the live attendees. We do encourage you to use the Q&A box at the bottom left of your screen to submit questions or comments. It's always better when you're an active participant. We love hearing from you and we'll try to get to all of your questions, but if they don't get answered during the webinar, don't worry, we'll follow up with you once the event has concluded. In the handout section, you'll find more detailed bios of all of our panelists and the slide deck with today's information, as well as the one from the first one in the series. And I'll be posting some links in the chat with uh, related information as we go through the webinar. For the best webinar experience, we do recommend closing out any other internet applications, especially streaming videos. And while returns of the office might be funnier, our panel will really help you to maximize your new office culture and get a really good start on that. So uh, do pay attention. If you are experiencing any technical difficulties with connectivity, sound, or video quality, the best thing to do is to disconnect and click on the webinar link again. You can also email Ian at ithompson, that's I-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N, at realcom.com for help during the event. But don't worry, you won't miss anything since you will receive a link with the webinar recording most likely later today. This educational webinar is supported by our outstanding sponsors. Bridgepoint bridges the gap between tech investments and business goals. They'll help you save time by shortening the IT, telco, cloud procurement process while saving you money and increasing your return on investment. Let me hear uh, a quick video from what. Uh... Bridgepoint wants to help customers make informed and educated IT decisions. Customers see us as an extension of their IT team. We've helped thousands and thousands of customers in this sort of situation. So our customers face the challenge of dealing with growth. The best thing right now in the market is there's a lot of choices. It's also the worst thing in the market right now. So I think most of our customers have, you know, they make decisions every couple years. Um, we help customers make decisions every day. And we really align ourselves with what the customers are trying to accomplish. The better thing about it is that it's not just saving them time. They're making a better, more informed decision. We vetted all these suppliers. We looked at all these costs. For someone to do that on their own, it could take a month. You know, for us to be able to do that for them in a matter of weeks is compelling. All right, great. And Building Engines also provides commercial real estate's most innovative building operations software platform. They help the world's most successful portfolios deliver an exceptional experience for everyone in the building. Ian, I think we have a video of Building Engines. In commercial real estate, success starts with the building. 
The best-run properties deliver the best tenant experiences, boosting your NOI. Enter PRISM by Building Engines, uniquely designed to help you increase NOI from a single building to thousands of commercial properties, including core features for best-in-class operations, innovative tools to boost the tenant experience, and unique solutions you won't see from any other ops provider. The platform's open API infrastructure connects seamlessly with your in-house systems. See why the world's most successful companies have chosen Building Engines. Visit buildingengines.com to schedule a free demo and see the power of PRISM today. Fantastic. Uh, also have FM Systems. Their all-in-one workplace management platform helps the world's largest organizations access, manage, and measure every aspect of their real estate portfolio. Let's hear a little bit more. Access, manage, and measure your entire facilities portfolio. FM Systems all-in-one workplace management platform enable facilities, corporate real estate, security, IT, and HR professionals to maximize the use of their facilities, manage real estate costs in a smart way, and ensure employees and visitors have healthy, safe, and inspiring workplace experiences. Plan against an ever-shifting, unknown world of work with FM Systems. And finally, Real Foundations is a professional services firm focused on helping real estate companies make smarter, more profitable decisions. They are recognized as a world leader in digital collaboration. Let's hear a little bit more about Real Foundations. Real Foundations is a professional services firm focused on helping companies that develop, own, operate, or invest in real estate make smarter, more profitable decisions. From the building itself to the way it's developed, operated, and capitalized, no firm understands the inner workings of the entire real estate ecosystem as well as real foundations. We make real estate run better. Thanks again to all of our sponsors. We are grateful for all the contributions by these vendors to our industry, to Realcom, and to helping us educate our viewers in sessions just like these. If you're ready to establish outstanding partnerships with vendor and consulting teams who are ready to help your business and your building operations thrive, I recommend including these companies as part of your vendor evaluation process. All right, let me introduce our moderator. Uh, that's Scott Morey, President of Technology and Innovation at WeWork. Welcome, Scott. Chuck, thank you for having me. I'm excited for today's conversation. There's a lot to cover. Before we get started, one thing I would like to do, and, and while they're doing it, we can talk just, just briefly, uh, is just get a feel for our audience. Uh, so we're gonna throw up a poll for all of our live audience. To, and just uh, tell tell me tell us who who you are, where you you know where you work, and and the position that you're in, so we can get a good feel for it. So, Scott, I was thinking about uh, the, the Office. If they were making an episode about today's conditions, I think they'd have a lot more material to work with. <laughs> there is a lot of material out there for us and others. Yeah, I agree. I I, th I think I do think that people are going to learn a lot more uh, listening today. There's just with the return to work. 
uh, remote work uh, conditions, uh, workplace experiences. I think we're going to hear a lot more today. So, all right, let's see, Ian, what we have. That gives you an idea. A lot of a lot of marketing, HR, accounting, IT, which is not uh, uh, not su surprising, and those specific to ESG uh, and as well as the property. So. Um, welcome everyone. We certainly want you to be uh, an active participant. Again, remind you that the Q&A function is available for you as we move along. And Scott, you've got a fantastic panel. I will get out of your way and uh, take it away. Awesome. Thank you. We do have a great panel and I want to thank the sponsors again with Bridgepoint, Billing Engines, FM Systems, and um, uh, Real Foundation. So can't thank you enough for sponsoring this. I think we've got an amazing group I'm about to introduce shortly. Everyone on this group has years and years of experience, and I love the fact that it's a fairly diverse group as well. Um, so I think we cover a range of categories from how we design, build, operate real estate, and specifically office, and then around the trends and implications related to those categories. So going down the list that everyone can see in the left, the first one is Sarah with HOK. She's a principal and director of interiors there based out of Chicago, which is my hometown. So excited to have you here, Sarah. Uh, Eddie with JLL, who's been there. Eddie, if you've been there a long time and you've had a great run and you'll continue to have many years, I think, in a great run, but <clears throat> excuse me, is the CIO there for digital. So thank you for, for being here as well. Uh, Brian, who is an enterprise management uh, consultant with Real Foundations. Most people are familiar with that firm, and I, I have a history somewhat with it as well, so thrilled to have Brian. Um, Daniel, Chief Product Officer of Building Engines, which now is part of the JLL Enterprise. And Daniel, of course, we know each other as well, and I'm thrilled to have you on the panel. Kurt, CEO of FM Systems, which is an amazing company. So thank you for joining us. And then we've got two individuals from Bridgepoint. So Ollie and then Scott, Ollie's a managing partner there. Scott is the uh, chief strategy officer at Bridgepoint. And I think I'm really looking forward to hearing your collective perspective. Before we sort of kick it off, just some general comments. I, I really feel when you look at real estate and cross the asset classes, that office truly is at a unique inflection point. And I look back, for example, what happened with retail over the last 20 years. And a lot of what happened in retail was about empowerment of the consumer to shop the way they want to shop. And I think we're seeing a convergence of things, a combination of demand about change and assumptions and rules about how people work or how we thought people could work effectively, combined with the science on design and alternative formats for how people work and the way they want to work, that we're in this incredibly unique spot where each of us as individuals are empowered more so than before in determining how we want to work, where we want to work, and who we want to work with. And to me, I think it's such a fascinating time, and I'm thrilled to be a part of this panel today and thrilled to be part of a WeWork on this same journey with all of you. So with that, I'm going to pass it over to sort of frame. We want to start around what's happening in the marketplace what people are asking for and some of the key trends. And so I'm gonna pass it over to Eddie and Daniel to share some slides to, to help us do that. So Eddie, I'll, I'll pass it to you. Thanks, Scott. And I'm just gonna start off by making a couple of strong provocative statements to, to start us off. And it's based on some just released research that Daniel actually recommended we share with everyone. 
Now, while I go through this, you don't have to take notes. RealCom is actually going to share the link to the complete research report. So you'll have all the details supporting what I'm saying. And also, while a lot of this research is based on what the occupiers are telling us about what they expect, it's incredible insight into what owners, landlords, vendors, consultants, what all of us will need to deliver to meet these changing expectations that Scott referenced. So I've got three points. We've got a slide for each one of those. So the first one, the hybrid age is here and the world of work and the way we work is forever changed. You know, you can see the numbers here and read them and it probably doesn't come as a surprise to most people. 55% of office-based employees are working in at least two different places. But look at how we're calling out third place. Probably have thought about third place a lot with companies like WeWork and, and what Scott and team are doing. But we often always talk about it as work from home or return to the office. And occupiers are seeing an increasing trend in these third places. And that has implications for how everyone delivers our services in real estate. And if you think you're equipped now to manage your workplace offering just based on these numbers, consider this. These numbers are averages. Every individual person is demanding their own version of flexibility and what meets their individual needs and demanding a better workplace experience based on their expectations. Instead of managing to the tenant, we're going to have to start managing the delivery to each individual and what they're looking for. Now you're probably thinking, Eddie, it's not cost effective to deliver what each individual person wants. I think that's where we're wrong. But you don't have to take my word for it. Consider the personalized experiences you can create using technology, whether through Amazon or other consumer apps. People know that technology exists and they're starting to demand that we bring more of it to the workplace. Which leads me to my second point. With thousands of emerging prop tech offerings and everyone having a different opinion on where you should start and what you should do, it can be overwhelming to think about where should I start? So the research identified 15 anchor technology areas to enable your hybrid work transformation. And they cover work, workforce, workplace, and your portfolio. Again, if you're an occupier, you're going to need these technologies to deliver what your people expect. And if you're an owner or landlord, you're going to have to implement the technology and enable the integrations that your occupiers will be demanding. You're no longer going to be able to lease a building by just winning over the real estate executive if your building isn't a place their workforce wants to be. That takes me to my third and last point. The right side of the slide shows you the top technology areas most organizations are planning to adopt in the next three years. You should assess what others are doing against your own plans to ensure your workplace stays competitive. And I'm sure we're gonna have a lot of conversation with the panel about approaches and considerations. But don't forget the technologies you may have already implemented. Top ones already implemented are shown on your left, and you're going to have to revisit them. You need to ensure you're leveraging all of the available functionalities to meet the new hybrid demands. And you're gonna to wanna to have technologies to drive more value by integrating some of the new technologies with your in-place technologies. So with that, Scott, uh, we're gonna send out the research to everyone. Would love the feedback and would love people's viewpoints, both here on the panel, but also in the days, weeks, and months ahead, because as we all go on this journey, it's going to be sharing with each other, sharing our learning, sharing our thoughts like we're doing with this research that will help all of us deliver the hybrid workplaces our people and our industry need for our future. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for framing it. I, I want to continue the conversation around trends and what we're seeing 
in the space. And so with that, actually, Brian, I want to go to you next and sort of if you can continue on on what your clients are asking for and what you're seeing on this category. I, I think the, the the context and the frame that, that Eddie just laid out is is spot on, right? We are we're in a world now where there isn't a single workplace, there are workplaces. And personally, as a consultant, I've been in many closets and airplanes and trains for years. So for the last 20 years, this, this isn't necessarily new for the services group, right? The services folks. Um, but I do think there, there's a, a way to articulate what that digital workplace looks like. And that digital workplace then is transferable to home, to office, to third space, fourth space, whatever that happens to be. And so then the conversations that we're having around, around that digital workplace are, how do I have a rich, meaningful, collaborative experience in that online digital environment that, that takes into account the different typology of work that's happening? You know, I, as, a, as a, a sole or independent practitioner, I can do a lot of work by myself alone. I have work that I have to do that, that's interconnected and tied to other folks or other resources that can happen in person or, or remote. And then I have the very, the very collaborative things that, that are, are best done in person, right, in an office environment, in a conference room. So how do we map those types of work to the locations that we're doing them? Because you're right, we, we, have, we have given autonomy and agency to the employee now to the extent that they, they have not had in generations. Um, and, and how does that then map into this new world? And I think, Eddie, you're, you're right. We can have a more tailored solution to the individual based on the technology that's coming out today. So we, we are helping firms think through the technology stack and the broader ecosystem to, de to deliver those over distance, uh, working out loud, um, collaborative, rich, rich sessions that, that replace some of that office, uh, office experience, but not entirely. So, um, I think as we move forward, as the technology develops and expands, there's there's more and more opportunity to provide each individual employee that autonomy to decide, I can do this here or I can do that there and better lever their own lives according to their work burden. Yeah, it's interesting for me because I've spent 30 years flying around in an airplane thinking right. physical proximity mattered and I was born in the wrong generation just for the for the record. Kurt, I, I want to pass to you, though, actually, because it's a combination of with your technology and your view, both about how it impacts the individual, but also relative to the asset, the physical asset in total. So I, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Yeah, I know there's a really interesting mismatch, I think, that's happening right now. Um, we're seeing recent survey just came out this this August where executives surveyed saying that 58% um, of them believe that employees are coming in not as frequently as they need them to or want them to. Um, that same survey, actual employees surveyed said 75% of them said that they are coming in the exact right amount of time or coming in too often. I think that mismatch combined with you know, this, this uh, kind of new approach, this modern workplace, really are gonna have a lot of influences across how we design buildings, how we encourage and incent our coworkers to come into the office, why it matters to be together. Uh, and I think also, you know, historically, as we think about the, um, the way that corporate finance would think about the physical workplace as, as more of a necessary evil than anything else. 
you know, it was something, it was a sunk cost that they had to have in order to, to really get work done. And now we've figured out through this great experiment of, of uh, distance uh, co-located working that we're able to do this in, in a way that the workplace is no longer a necessary evil. It really sincerely needs to be appreciated and approached as a strategic asset. And what we're seeing as, as customers are returning and making that plan for, for the return to the workplace, that the ability to provide that unique experience, to design the building in a way that encourages the right mix of collaboration, um, you know, that we space, um, and that right mix of individual effort, individual work, me space, but then making the workplace respond to the occupant in a way that is, is individualized. And you know, it could be everything from the furniture systems that are being used and how they are able to adapt to that, that coworker's needs or the, the sensors that are involved to give you know, the workplace environmentals. You know, what's the air quality inside? How much, uh, what's the decibel level? You know, how loud is it? Maybe I want to reserve a space with a little bit more energy today and find a spot that has a louder decibel recognition um, to even understanding natural daylight and, and how that might affect how work gets done. And so I think there's a lot of connections between the technology that we're able to deploy to provide that, that um, truly unique experience for each, uh, each occupant, but then also how it influences our ability to design the buildings of the future and, and what our workplaces will look like ongoing. That totally makes sense. And it's a perfect handoff, actually, Sarah, to your world, because you're on the design side. I'd love to hear kind of the trends and what you see, uh, you know, in this area to continue the conversation. Yeah, Kurt and Brian have hit on exactly what we are striving to design in the workplace, because we really need to embrace this opportunity. There's been this period of disruption and offices now, workplaces, are not fulfilling the needs of those individuals coming back to the offices, which is related to why people don't want to come back to the office, per se. And so we have a saying around here that if you design for the extreme, you benefit the me. And so we have really dived into research around neurodiversity and people who identify as neurodivergent. And so these are people who are just wired a little bit differently people who have ADHD or dyslexia. Um, but what we are doing from a design standpoint is really providing variety and choice throughout the workplace. And so that's creating uh, you know, environments for a single individual who needs, you know, maybe it's somebody who needs some heads down space, but some or heads down time in, and a single individual might need some space to fidget or somebody who just needs to be totally isolated. And, in a collaborative zone, maybe it is somebody who needs that buzz, the noise, or it's a team that just needs to focus, but focus together. So we have to provide a number of different environments within a workplace in order to benefit all of these different individuals. It's awesome. And there's something I actually hadn't disclosed to Chuck until today. And many, I'm dyslexic actually, which is something I didn't openly disclose by till the last five years. It was something I've always hidden. In a way, so I'm I'm very in tune to, to what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Let me pass over actually, Daniel, on your side, relative to technology and building engines and and how your view kind of using technology and the empowerment of people. A, a lot of it for me, I think you'd agree too, Daniel, is like how do we create meaningful experiences in a way at the end, right? In whatever format that may be, whether you're remote or hybrid or whatever format you are together, but. 
I'd love to get your thoughts on on building engines and specifically your view on that topic. Yeah. So so my world is, is all on the on the you know on the operate side, right? So so we help we help up, um, building owners, landlords kind of operate the building. And for us, it's a lot of this change has been like everyone thinks this and thinks that and what is actually happening in the building who is coming in um so for, for our standpoint i think you got to go back to basics you got to go back to like measurement right what you can't really make changes and you can't you know go with your gut on on putting in a really expensive technology or taking two of your floors in your building and flipping them to to flex space you know on on like what happened during the pandemic because there was so much misinformation and who knows what's happening you know in the future so what we've been focusing on uh, mostly initially is all right what are the new technologies that can help but let's measure what's going on first like who you know how many tenants are in the building how much are they utilizing their space like like visitors coming to a building has been a massive change right so like in back in 2019 um, no one thought you could close a $500,000 sales deal without going to the customer, right? And sitting with the customer, taking them to dinner. Um, and we, you know, our business is, is closing deals on, on Zoom and, and, and teams now are never seeing customers and they're crossing million dollar um, thresholds sometimes, right? Um, and so when we, when we measure the building, what we're seeing is, is that, visitors coming to the building is definitely ramping back up like this summer the data is showing you know really nice growth um you know in the spring summer is always a little bit down because people take vacations and then but coming you know into september and october the numbers are really spiking up but you, you, but to, the, the data shows we're still 45 percent down against 2019 which is which is a little bit nuts to me in, in a lot of ways like before i joined the real estate industry I, I came from the events industry and everything was like live events get people together when you you know you're better together was a tagline of the company i worked for before you know booking booking space to get people together um and that's that's really true but like the technology has changed the industry right all the investment going into products like what we're using now webinars event you know event management software that people can can collaborate and do polls and, and all that stuff like you don't need to spend millions of dollars in hotels and travel and all that stuff anymore right so yeah so we're focusing on let's measure the what's going on in the building <clears throat> let's let's make the building as touchless and as safe as possible and then let's look at the emerging technologies that can help um and what you know just a real quick bullet point on a couple of those things before you know, hand it back. Um, a couple of the technologies we, we see that's totally taken off since the pandemic, um, obviously, is is touchless entry to the building. So there's a big change in access control. Like um, a lot of operators are, are wanting to go mobile and you know get rid of key cards and um, <clears throat> and I don't know why. I'm, my gut tells me that it's because. Uh, employees and visitors now, you know, used to traveling, you know, with a with a 
a mobile boarding pass and they're going to different spaces. Like Eddie showed the research, there's there's third spaces now. And, you know, like in our, in our environment, Jay, Jay, we have hundreds of offices all over the country. I don't want a different key card in every office, right? I want one, I want it on my phone. So that's a, that's a big change and then also touching elevator buttons and no one wants to touch things and, and then touch their face and all that stuff. So that's one big change we're seeing. Um, and then, you know, on our side, the, the, the second big one is, <clears throat> is really around measurement of what's going on in the building. So data warehouses, systems like building engines prism, so that you can see exactly what's going on, how many tenants are in the building, what are tenants doing, how many visitors are coming, what resources are being utilized, how much cleaning is going on in the building, what's, how, what's the stress levels on the equipment, all that stuff, right? Um, so yeah, there's, there's been some big changes in technology and a lot of startups, you know, jumping into the industry. And um, I think that's that's really fascinating. And I mean, hopefully we get to spend some time on FlexSpace today because how does an owner, you know, is the 10 year lease dying? Is that gonna happen? Is it, are we gonna move to short shorter leases? Are we gonna move to individual people booking stuff just when they need? How are we gonna price that? Like. The events and hotel industry went through this thing, this whole thing 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and there's still a lot of hate for how all the commissions and pricing works, you know, to those distributors that 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 book event space and book hotel rooms and and distribute that those pricing mechanisms. And that's got a lot of ramifications on our industry, right? And there's probably 10 years of technology battles and pricing battles that's going to happen on Flex, in my opinion, over the next five years. You're in a category close to me, yeah. uh, maybe for another another day in some ways. But mm-hmm. Scott, I want to get your view, obviously, as the chief strategy officer for Bridgepoint. And you look at these trends and sort of how you guys sort of align your product and, and, and company with them. It'd be great to hear. Yeah, I mean, I, I for us, it's, it's always a conversation that starts on where the needs of the IT leader in the business are. Right. I mean, we are we're we're intrinsically an IT consultancy and advisory firm. Um, but it, it's funny because we're, we're watching these worlds collide here. Ideally, now, most of the conversations that we're having are about exactly the same topic that we're having here, really from a real estate centric perspective. Right. What's happening in IT right now is they're saying, you know, hey, Scott, Ali, Richpoint team, how do I plan for I don't know? At the end of the day, the, the technology strategy of the business is based on, the lo- in a lot of cases, the location of the individual and the location of the individual is still mobile. And in many cases, the business leaders, the executives outside of IT have yet to make a decision on what hybrid work looks like. We're still debating. We've been doing it even so far today. You know, where do we go? How do we go? How often do we spend? Where does the employee feel the same way as executives do about productivity based on where they are? That makes it to the IT suite. Right. And the IT suite is, hey, you know, plan for the thing that we're doing. And the IT answer is, well, what's the thing we're doing? I, tell me what that is. Um, and the problem is that, you know, Ali and I have have spent years and years and years lighting buildings with tech. Right. It was IT was a location centric strategy. Right. How do I get connectivity into there? How do I build my security edge into there? Right. And in a lot of cases, I mean, there was a Gartner stat that said, you know, on average, the business, you know, businesses pre-pandemic reported that IT strategies were designed to support 20% of their people being out of the office, right? And now we've spent three years undoing 30 years of location-centric IT. So as we now think about locations, the kind of conversations that we're getting dragged into, 
are, are ones like this. Okay, well, we went home. You know, collaboration, I, I go back to the earlier stats, you know, that Kurt, I mean, I'm sorry, that Ed, Eddie shared around um, in-office collaboration technology is, is an in-place adoption right now. Well, in most businesses, we go into multiple in-office collaboration technologies are adopted, right? There's not a decision made around governance. There's not a decision made around, you know, which tool trumps which tool. But when a user's at home on a laptop in their dining room, look at their calendar. They can go from a Teams meeting to a Zoom meeting to a we're on GoTo right now, great webinar platform. You go into the office and you've got a conference room that's a that's got Teams tech in it or WebEx tech in it. And you, you want to know why the, the people aren't coming in there going, it's, well, it's a, a whole lot easier for me to get on meetings when I don't go in a conference room and try to fiddle with my computer to figure out which what meeting solution I'm going to get on right now. So, you know, it's it. we're having the same conversation really from different angles here. You know, a lot of the perspective so far has been from the business owner angle. The perspective kind of we're bringing is from the IT angle. It's still the same problem, right? Which is we really haven't figured out who we are from a remote remote work perspective. We certainly haven't figured out what tools we're standardizing on, and it makes it really hard for us to build IT strategies or, frankly, building and design strategies. I see Sarah nodding and smiling on that, right, to support, and I don't know. And I think that's it's kind of really where we are right now. That's where the majority, I think, of the conversations that we're having in the field with IT leaders are is, you know, what's the answer first that we're building to? And then how do we build towards, you know, maybe a sketchy answer, right? We're not all the way there Scott. yet. Scott, what I'll add across a nationwide platform when projects are being updated, you know, over time and, and maintain the flexibility of that system, but that I can connect whether I'm in LA, New York, London, or Tokyo, and it's I connect and I'm online, and all of my coworkers can do the same thing, even yeah. though my office yeah. space I, has been renovated five years ago versus 18 months ago. I think Scott's right. I think a lot of IT directors are responsible for this decision uh, and change management is a real thing. And it comes from endpoint protection. You talked about supporting the end user if he's in Singapore, Hong Kong, wherever he is, but he needs to get back to his resources. So my question always to the IT guys, where are your resources, your JD Edwards, your SAP, your 365? Are you in San Francisco? Are you in New York? We're we going back to Ashburn. Um, and then, you know, a, a, a SASE solution, supporting your users on travel. Right, encrypting their desktop, their mobile endpoint protection. Those are real, real important discussions. So products like SD-WAN, right, have helped accelerate optimization performance to your applications. And that's from your laptop or your mobile app, right, whether it's collaboration or really on from your desktop using a webinar or maybe a CRM. So those are things are all points of conversation to have. And I think everyone's different. Every environment's different. I think it's, I think it's fair. I mean, of course, I always say with technology, we can pretty much do anything if they give us the capital. It's always the issue, too, with some of these items. But, Eddie, I, I can't even imagine your role because the sheer global nature of JLL and the complexity of your client base. And we've got a question here, I think, that is relevant for Michael as well. And, and the question is really talking about the extent, right, of the infrastructure that's in place. There's a, there's a capital timeliness question on landlords and their investment and occupiers right within this category and enabling the type of behaviors that we think make sense but what would you say eddie you know I mean, there's there's so much that that comes to mind first of all sarah when you have that fidget space i want to book it because i i need that um 
if you think about, yeah, so, you know, how do we help people understand the new capabilities we have? How do we help them book it? How do we rethink? So to, to, the, uh, to, to Michael's um, uh, question, we could spend a lot of time on that. Um, the, the thought that came to mind when you asked me the question, Scott, was if you think about, if we were to go back in time to when I started my career, we were build, 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 build. And if you think about today, even as big as JLL is and as successful, we recognize we can't do everything by ourselves. So build has become a very small print in our strategy. We've really increased partnership, for example, with, with Kurt and FMS. We partner together. We partner with companies like Sarah's on the physical and the digital. We buy. We bought building engines and, and brought Daniel in. We, we partner with the consultants like Brian and, and Alan Scott. Everybody has to follow that strategy, especially as we talk about the different technologies and how things are changing and the integration. You also mentioned budget dollars. So I don't know if you read my LinkedIn post today, subtle uh, subliminal uh, messaging to go there. But as we've talked about all these technologies you need to bring out, interestingly, Gartner just yesterday at their big symposium announced that contrary to what you would think with economic uncertainty, they're projecting IT spend to increase 5% with software spend 11%. And so if your CIO is already thinking in that mindset and telling Gartner that we're going to increase spend, now's the time for real estate people, which have traditionally been the back office, to go forward and say, hey, I've got some ideas, I've got some dollars. And if you actually read the article, it talks about how a lot of their strategies are around back-end or, 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 or internal departments that are ripe for digital transformation. That's the description of our industry. And so I think, you know, a big answer to the question is work with partners like who you see on the screen to come up with a strategy that's right for you, potential technologies that are available, and then to put your digital strategic roadmap together to get your funding. That's awesome. And I'll just Brian. add real I can jump on for one second. I'm sorry, Ed, on that. We hear the same a lot around digital transformation funding, those initiatives. And the only thing that I would just say as it relates to an IT perspective is if you think of what we threw at the problem in 2020 from a technology perspective, that the funds are probably already in the IT budget to yep. be pulled out to fund digital transformation initiatives. I mean, when you think about sort of the security edge being in the office, you know, look at no, no, no question here. You know, Ali and I broke. We broker a lot of bandwidth for the big carriers in the, in the world. We threw so much bandwidth at getting people from their houses over the VPN to an office to hit a security perimeter, only to get back out to the cloud. <laughs> if you think about how crazy that is, in March, April, and May of 2020, IT budgets are ripe for finding space right now to, you know, to go ahead and reinvest it. So much so that we invested. Um, at Bridgepoint, we invested a couple of weeks ago in acquiring a telecom expense management company to bolt into our business, which sounds very unsexy. But the reality of it, when you consider that there's multiple collaboration platforms and an outrageous amount of bandwidth that, that we threw at problems in 2020, we can fund these initiatives, generally speaking, inside of the, the money that companies are already spending to get after you know, some of the more exciting conversations, I would say, right, that we're having today. And, and to that point, Scott, and before it goes back to you, Scott Kay's comment reminded me a week ago, I was at Gartner's Global CIO Summit. And, you know, you'd probably expect a bunch of CIOs to getting together. We're talking infrastructure. We're talking security. We're talking talent. 
It's the first time I have sat in a room with a group of global CIOs who talked for an hour about the workplace and not the typical software. It was the phys it was the world of real estate. I sat there and I was like, you know, this is exciting, but wait a minute. Why aren't you bringing your real estate partners to the table with you? And so to Scott K's point, there's a lot of appetite. There's a lot of interest in your CIO. Now's the time to go and talk to them and tap that interest and look for those dollars. I think we've so often said, nope, I can't get it. I think we need to change that mindset and go and talk about what could be possible and look for the, the help that we can get. And it's interesting, and Brian, I want to go to you next, is so often these categories weren't viewed as assets in the end, the physical asset, the building itself, or the employees. And we're still on that form of transition. We're way better than we were a decade ago or two decades ago. But we still lag, I would argue, right, in, in some ways as a, as a broader sector. But Brian, I want to get, you know, sort of go back to real foundations and your client base on this category. And I think as you shared earlier, very much was around technology putting in place to enable and empower the person regardless of where they are. Yeah. And then as we've been talking about now is about the technology infrastructure within the assets itself or the enterprise to enable that. But can you talk more about some of the projects and things you're seeing with your client base? Yeah, and it's it's interesting. And I, I'm looking at, at Michael Shear's question out there about holograms and you know unified communications and like metaverse and VR and all that stuff, which sounds really cool. Uh, but there's so much basic blocking and tackling to do that we haven't figured out yet, right? And and Scott K was touching on it that the IT guys were like, well, I don't, I don't know what you want me to do because nobody's really defined the work that the enterprise is doing and where that work gets performed on what tools. So for us, as we think through this digital workplace, right, regardless of physical location, how does that workplace need to be structured to accommodate the work that the real estate organization is conducting? the people that are conducting that work. And then now we can have an articulate conversation around the tools that support that. So I think, yeah, we, we've had a, a an accelerated migration into the uh, into the remote working environment as a, as a global society. Um, and that, that rapidity left out some of the design considerations that we're now just starting to go back and think about, okay, well, we made it, we, we bubble gummed it, paper clipped it, we got there. Now, how do we how do we backtrack a little bit and think through this on a, a longer scale or a longer term set of initiatives over the next five to ten years? And how do we develop that 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 fully articulated model, if you will, for how the enterprise does work and what are the tools that it uses to do that work? Makes sense. Kurt, can I get you to expand on that as well? Yeah, I think I think Brian has it exactly right. It's it's that designing with the end in mind, and we're seeing customers. Uh, approaching that right now, where it's really been what we talk about is a, a refocusing and a rationalization. So refocusing the workplace around the mission of the organization. Why do we exist to begin with? How do we then go and enable this, this which once was a, a sunk cost, now it's a strategic asset. How do we take the physical workplace and really enable it to, to help us enable our, our, our mission? Um, and then from there, it's, it's that rationalization. And this is where, um, you know, where, where Sarah and other teams come in, where we're actually now redesigning uh, and retrofitting workplaces and, you know, making them fit the real needs so that we can come together, collaborate, ideate, really build that culture. And from there, it's, it's you know, we're also going to see some customers are needing uh, more space, actually. 
And uh, certainly some need less, but many need actually more, and they need them in different locations than where their spaces are. Coworkers, uh, key teammates have moved to different locations. People have been hired uh, in different ways, and they, they end up being in different parts of the country, different parts of the world. How does that affect our real estate portfolio? You know, some of the other things that we're seeing, and we've been talking about this a bit already, is really that blending of the virtual and the physical workplace. And you know, what that means for really having a smooth, and, and the word that, that I use, and I think our marketing team hates it every time we use it, is, is passive. Um, but how do you create that smooth and passive experience for the occupant so that they want to come in? And many of our customers, and we'd love to hear how others are responding to this, but many of our customers are really struggling to get their coworkers back into the workplace. And many of them are thinking about, well, we need to make a, our workplace as a destination. You know, how do we do that? How do we create and entice coworkers to come in? How do we create, you know, FOMO, fear of, of missing out? You know, I missed out on that great, uh, that great meeting that, that Eddie and Sarah and Scott had. I wish I was there. You know, or how do we, you know, really make this experience something that people want to come back together? Because uh, we're seeing right now as we exist in this age of the employee still, where the, the employee is calling the shots, um, you know, we need to come together around something that is uh, much more enticing than what it has been in the past. Yeah, I, I think just to tack on to that real quick, it's it's the concept of motivate versus mandate is what you're getting at, right? And, and the firms that can figure out how to motivate are going to win this labor war that's going on right now. I mean, it, it feels like the 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 days of the the bribery to get folks back into the offices has played out. And now we're left with, okay, how, to your point, Kurt, how do I really get people back that are, that are motivated to be here intrinsically without me having to, to do something catchy? Yeah, the intrinsic motivation over the extrinsic, I think, is exactly right. We've seen that play out time and time again. Uh, you need that intrinsic motivation. Agreed. It's a great phrase, a motivate versus mandate. I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. We use the phrase about how do we create meaningful experiences in whatever environment you may be. Sarah, I want to I want to come back to you and sort of the design aspects of how you incorporate these concepts, but it also would be great to get sort of specific examples on technology or uses of technology, whether that was relative to how do you enable, better enable um, hybrid, meaning I don't think there's that meeting any of us are in today where we're all physically in the room. It's pretty rare, right? Mm -hmm. And how do you design and sort of build and guide around that? I'd love to get your thoughts. You know, we think about it as purpose of place, which kind of sums up everything that everybody's been talking about here in that, that that goes for the organization as a whole, but then as you break it down to individual spaces as well, right? That that your workplace is now that location where you come that defines your brand, it defines your culture. Maybe it's got technology or much to the chagrin of everyone on this call, maybe it doesn't have technology that you're inundated with at home. Right, because you know, high tech, high touch spaces are important to the world that we work in today. But so are having some balances where you are disconnected for all of that, and and you can really connect with your coworkers in different ways. So when we approach, you know, a workplace strategy, keeping all of these different things in mind, we want to think about the 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 things that bring people in. So I'd like to use an example that we actually worked with JLL on recently, which was the Honeywell headquarters in Charlotte, North Carolina. And they had a number of different personas coming into the space. They have engineers in their space. They were transforming their space from being a 
you know, you think about Honeywell, you think about their thermostats, perhaps, um, and they're really transforming into a more software tech-based company. And how could their workplace portray that? Um, so they have a huge customer experience center, which does involve hologram and an immersive experience room. But counter to that, in that same space, there is a cafe that lacks technology so that people can get a cup of coffee together, sit down around a collaboration table, and have a conversation about all of the great things that they've just seen. And then they can break out into different types of collaboration rooms. And some of them are loungy type spaces where we can sit on a couch and talk together. Maybe there's a TV in the room. And then there are other more in integrated uh, text work communal spaces that's more traditional to a conference room. And that scales across all different sizes and shapes within the organization. The other great thing about that space is that they use sensor, sensors, lighting, daylighting, occupancy, CO2, and that's tied into their building management system so that they can use it in a sustainable way. If it's a bright sunny day, let's shut down those lights so that they are saving energy. If a floor is unoccupied because it's a Friday and no one's in the office, then we can really maximize our energy savings, which contributes to the fact that it's a lead green building. So all of those things are real-time examples of how we're taking everything that we're talking here today and, and manifesting that self in actual space. So it's a great shift because I want to talk about analytics and insights, but not for the sake of analytics and insights, but how you make them actionable and where we see them being made actionable. because. It's been, I think, in many ways, in my view, on the technology side of my background, that we have, each of us, I'm sure, at different points in our careers, have identified a great metric and can't get anyone to look at it mm -hmm. <laughs> for whatever reason. And there's an art to that. I think as an industry, we've gotten a lot better. But Daniel, I want to go back to you because you also were bringing some of those up on guests showing up. And I know you guys are pretty consistent, actually, at publishing reports on insights that you see within your member companies. So, can you sort of expand on this on this topic? And I do want to spend some time as a group on it. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> this this topic's near and dear to me because we there, there's a lot of startups and standalone technologies you can that you can buy to make to solve a problem, right? Let's take air quality, for example. Anyone, an occupier themselves can go buy a bunch of sensors and stick them in their tenant space, in, into their conference rooms and their areas. The building owner and the landlord can do the same, right? They can they can take buy sensors and bang them in the in the lobby and put them in the cafe and put them. They can even go into the tenant spaces and put a sensor in the tenant space, right? So that they can you know try to solve this problem or try to measure what the air quality is like in the building. But where does the data go? It it, it goes into like spreadsheets. It goes into whatever sensor company that you pay $200 a sensor for, it goes into a cloud system that they have. And, but the, but the, the actual goal of buying the sensors is to make comfort levels and tenant air quality better. And who does that? That's the building engineers. And the building engineers, they use a system like ours to do all their work, right? All of their tasks are in there, they're prioritized, there's SLAs on all the tasks. They communicate with tenants back and forth in our tool. They do invoicing. They have, you know, all the reporting, all the analytics on how engineers and property managers and how the people do their work in the building, right? Every bit of, every hour is trapped in our system, right? And having an air quality system that's putting data against 
sensor number 75, 642, you know, every five minutes into a spreadsheet is not helping anyone, right? So what has to happen in the industry is consolidation. And it, and it has to be, all this data has to get back into the building systems that the engineers and the property managers and the facility managers use every day. Otherwise it's useless. It's like, it's like all these, every company out, every startup out there's, you know, um, advertising themselves as a BI platform. Well, who's going to sit there and look for needles in the haystack in 10 BI systems that they buy, one for air quality, one for, you know, vibrations on equipment, one for how much outside air you're pulling into this, into the building, um, how many occupants are in the system. None of that can be in separate systems actually to make it work, right? So you do need partners, you do need software platforms to pull it all together. And these startups need to be consolidated into the bigger systems, either into the, the BMS hardware platforms like Honeywell or into building management software platforms like building engines. Um, or the building has got to do it themselves or the, or the facility managers got to do it themselves with their own BI resources, which is IT budgets, expensive, you know, and then you got to build integrations into 30 systems to get the data, right? Um, so this is, to me, this is the biggest technology problem to solve. This is where a lot of, I think, smart money is going and it, it needs to go that way, in my opinion. Because you just can't have, can't have stuff in, in silos. Silos just make no work get done. Agree, I, I want to let Kirk give you a chance to continue the conversation, but part of it too is about protocols and access and, and lack of consistency. Like we've had backnet protocols in the building control, but take yeah. access management and, and it's brutal, right? You, you, in a way, just as a category that I still think has a lot of room for catching that, that up. Is a block, that's a block, block access to data and you know how tall buildings are and how thick the walls are. That is a blocking problem to get to get data for sure. Yeah, agree. Kurt, what, love to get your thoughts on this and, and what your company's doing on this category. Yeah, I think the, the aggregation of that data so that you can really come together, whether it's around the workplace environmentals or the actual utilization, comparing that to design intent uh, and then feeding that back into the process so that we're building and, and retrofitting uh, workplaces that are better aligned with, with actual needs, I think is a big part of that data, that you know those healthy buildings that are better aligned. Um, but we're also seeing you know, that ability to take, as we pull in, you know, some of the things that we're focused on is, you know, we have sensors that bring in, you know, CO2, natural light, decibel, occupancy utilization, but bringing all of that together with other uh, systems that are already in place or that are being put in place, aggregating that data, not only giving you insights around what's happening now, but then also giving you the ability through AI and machine learning, ability to really compare and then predict from there. Um, the next step after predict is then prescribe. Uh, we haven't gotten to that yet, but I think we will very shortly. And, and all of that though, with the goal of really creating a workplace that is much more aligned to what the actual occupants needs and intents are. Uh, a workplace that is, is like intuitively responding without the organization having to uh, make real effort to do that. And really just being a, a fluid and passive experience. And that's a lot of where we're, we have our technology focused right now is, you know, how do we enable, you know, if, if Eddie's coming in today, well, so do I want to come in too. Uh, if there's a meeting that's happening, you know, maybe we should suggest 
um, you know, based on who's going to be remote, who's going to be in person, the right type of space. And, you know, maybe it's even not only the right type, but the right location, because now we also have, you know, a flexible agreement with WeWork or someone else where we can go and uh, come together at a third location. So figuring out how we pull all that together using data and technology, and again, making it passive, making it easy for the end user to just do their job, come together, collaborate, create culture, uh, whether it's in the physical workplace or it's in a, a third space, uh, but helping make those decisions easier for the occupants. Can I say one more follow-up thing? Um, so that I totally, am, that, that, that I'm fully aligned with that. Like take a, take a problem like air quality and how complex all the systems are associated with it. And like, how do you do predictive? How do you get tasks into the right people's backlogs? Like air quality often, you can make air quality awesome by opening up the louvers in your building and letting, and then recycling all the air, fresh air, right? But then you're gonna spend millions of dollars cooling and heating that fresh air, right? So if you've got sustainability goals, you shut your louvers down and you recycle the air 100%. If you want to do tenant comfort, tenant, you know, safety, you you have to open them up, and you have to measure it, right? So, what's good air quality? What's good tenant comfort? What's good sustainability goals are all conflicting, and whoever's loudest in the building is usually the the the, the tenant facing people, right? So that tenant comfort is always the most important. So crank those louvers open and spend a million dollars. But then you overlay your sustainability ESG team now that, that all of every one of our customers are starting to put in, they start adding requirements and like IT are in the middle of this whole thing, right? So that's a, such a simple thing, air quality, and you think, but the, the technology solutions behind it are very complex. There's conflicting goals and you can't have data in silos. You need, you need a very good system that monitors, gets the data, is connected to all to sustainability goals and all those things, and then opens up the right tickets to the right people in engineering to do the right thing at the right time. No one really cares about looking at a report and analytics. It goes back to what person is going to go and make a change to change the outside air amounts. That's it. And then when you look at your energy bills, are they lower? That's that's what has to happen. Not someone looking at a BI and analytics stuff like that, it's never going to work. If someone, if there's manual people going on doing manual work, it, it, it's going to fail that your investment's going to fail. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a very, it's opinion that's sort of outside the, the norms, but to me, that's, that's a huge problem. Mm. Yeah. One Pretty quick fun. thing to add on there. Yeah. We're, this, I'm glad you mentioned, Daniel, the sustainability issues here. You know, we've we've seen in the past we've had a sustainability module for our customers to to run uh, run and compare sustainability initiatives and, and and decide which ones make sense for them to move forward with, which ones don't, um, and how that might impact their green or lead scores. Um, and very few customers have adopted it. Uh, what we've seen though here in this modern workplace and the modern approach is sustainability is coming back with a force. And it's, it's somewhat uh, being influenced by the EU and the SEC, somewhat advancing their reporting requirements. Um, but, and I think some of it in, in the UK and Europe, we're seeing being driven by some of the increasing energy costs where investments in sustainability 
are more impactful than they were in the past. But really, a lot of it is is coming back to the idea that you know we have a we have risks inside of our business, and you know whether it's employees uh, where they're located, whether it's near uh, forest fires or flooding, um, being able to accurately understand who's in our building today, and and uh, whether it's active shooter or some other terrible event, um, being able to manage the risk that's associated with the sustainability initiatives uh, and just the world around us has been one of the main drivers that we've seen in customers really picking up their hands uh, and being willing to, to, to bring out a checkbook and write real checks to go and solve these things. So uh, just, just quickly, I'll jump on uh, just at a macro level. Daniel, I'm 100% with you on the availability of data and it, you know the importance, the importance is in the relationships, not the individual sources of data. I'll just say that that is a macro level issue that goes well beyond just, you know, real estate, buildings, office space. I mean, the, you know, I was just interviewed for an article that's coming out in CIO magazine about data strategy. And the first question was, what's the major trend in data strategy right now? And my answer was, have one, <laughs> right? Like at the end of the day, the reality of it is, you know, there's serious value. And I don't even, I don't know a ton about the world that you live in, but I can make the equation between building environmentals and security data in the building having a lot of value together. Think about the equation of that to productivity, yeah. right? If you weren't able to compare that to email sent, meetings attended, you know, there's whole other lakes of information out there. The real key is, I just want to say that that is not, that problem is not living in facilities, right? That is a macro level IT issue. Yeah. Where, mm -hmm. And it's a business issue, again, that IT is trying desperately to respond to the needs of the aggregate business, where the business should really needs to be looking at it, a strategic discussion of what are our data sources? Where are they important? How do we get to them? Who are our consumers of that data? And mm -hmm. then how do we make sure we get it in one spot to be able to generate? And I love what you said at the end, opening a ticket, actually making it actionable instead of just making a dashboard. Yep. you know at the end of the day so i just i just wanted to layer that in here that is a macro level it and you business strategy issue not just the facilities one yeah you totally nailed it there my point on top of that is basically you need industry specific solutions because i come from the software background you can't build a bi platform that can do everything for every industry because no one understands a real estate industry like that that's in consumer electronics or Apple or, you know, no one understands industry like we do. They're unique problems that require unique connections between the personas in the building. And you need experts in our, in our field to build the solutions for it. You need JLL, you need the other partners that you have. You need the right software technologies that have built solutions for the specific tenant, hot, cold, air quality problem. That's one of, Literally a thousand problems that is very real estate specific. That that's my point. Like all these BI platforms that are coming from other industries into our industry don't understand it. They won't, then I can't solve it. That's fair. Let me jump. I tried a couple times. I enjoy the spirit of discussion. Yeah. Eddie, I want to come over to you actually, just given JLL size, but the number of customers you have, both landlord investors and occupiers, like real world. And actually, I want to go to Brian and Sarah next. What what is really happening in the rate of adoption, and where people are spending money, and where they're not, where you think they should as well? It'd be interesting to hear. 
Are you talking about the BI and data specifically or more broadly? Or just broader broadly, actually. I think this is a category, but but I think I think across the range. I mean, you shared it to an extent on your slides, but let's get more tactical kind of where JLL is and what you're seeing. So I think if you look at the uh, at those 15 anchor technology areas that were on the slide that we sent out, that's where we're starting to see people uh, focus. And on that third slide, we actually showed uh, the top ones that are adopted. So that, that will give you some insight into where people are really spending their money. It's interesting hearing the conversation on BI because I think a lot of people have spent a lot of money on BI and not gotten the promise of it. And I think a big reason for that is because we don't create metrics that matter. And we actually, we did an internal exercise and the thing that struck me is so much of things we like to manage are like the historic reporting that we've always done in real estate. And we, and we still need to do that, but you can't do anything really with it. It's in the past. It's how do we create the metrics that are across the service offerings, across the platforms that, that help drive the decisions. And I actually think a good metric doesn't give you the answer it gives you the conversation to start with others about how do we solve this problem. And I think that's a big opportunity as we, as we look at some of that. I agree with what Scott said about uh, data. One of the biggest strategies is just to have a strategy and a lot of things that we're seeing and, and hearing from people uh, and, and telling people is for some reason in real estate, we like to have things perfect before we'll take it to the business. Sometimes good enough is good enough. It gets you close enough to be able to make the decision. And so I think uh, we're starting to see a lot of changes in that. Um, and then, then the last comment, this is something that um, JLL uh, started doing. Uh, I will fully admit when we said we were going to do it, I was a bit of a doubter. Now that I have seen the success of it, I'm like, wow, I wish I, that had been my idea. But that was when we started doing um, uh, venture capital. So I think we're the only corporate venture capital in the industry. And, and some of the investments we were making, I can remember saying, why are you doing that? That's not in real estate. And the people we brought in said, but it's part of the experience that people have when they go into the building. And, and I took my blinders off, if you notice. I think those of us in real estate, we think about the building, the building. When people come into the office, their experience of the workplace starts from the minute they get up and see the weather, see the traffic, see the meeting schedule and, oh, no, I've got a meeting with Eddie first thing. How did that happen? We have to start putting ourselves in the position of the people that use it. And then suddenly you start seeing opportunities to spend money on investments or technologies that you wouldn't have thought of in the past. And we're starting to see a number of that, um, specifically in the experience uh, area, but also getting into some other areas because real estate's critical to your business. You've got to integrate your real estate technologies with other aspects of your business, whether it's in HR, IT, CFO. So there are a lot of opportunities. A bit of a long question because there's a lot of opportunities and there's a lot of conversations that people can uh, to have to come up with a strategy that's right for them. Awesome. And then, Brian, where do you see sort of companies adopting and where do you see them not adopting which specific technologies? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I guess to uh, I, I love the comment that perfection's the enemy of good, right? You don't you don't have to be perfect. You're never going to be, so stop trying. Um, you know, we we've seen a lot of work out of the the pandemic around the the operating model strategy for our clients and how do they how do they get an, an optimized platform 
so that they can scale and grow a business in this in this new paradigm with with within which we are living. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of our clients were are still very much app centric. I deployed Zoom. I got Box. I'm good. And you know, from from our perspective, we're thinking of this in terms of ecosystems. And right now, there's there's three call them major ecosystems or two and a half. Microsoft has an ecosystem. Google has an ecosystem. Salesforce is trying to get an ecosystem. That's why they went out and spent so much money on Slack. Um, I would I would offer to my clients that are listening that, that Salesforce is behind. So go with Microsoft. Um, shameless plug. But you know, e even in that context, right? It's very hard to 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 get a handle on just how much Microsoft and I'll use them as an example offers you with the with the licenses that you're currently paying for. And helping clients think through again that digital workplace and how do I use this ecosystem to deliver those rich experiences, whether I'm in the office or I'm in the third place or I'm in an airplane or, or wherever I happen to be. Um, and so I would say that there's there's growing momentum there. Uh, again, there's there's still this this legacy mindset of point solution, um, all that spend that Scott K was talking about that we're just just now ripping out. I think that's going to continue. Um, and then in moving from this, this recently outdated app-centric mindset, right? That you just can't put an app out there. You need to be thinking broader context and, and helping folks think through that, that dynamic. Hey, Scott, I'm going to jump in on that because Brian inspired a thought. Um, you have to manage the intersection between your digital and physical. And I love the example that Brian gave about uh, all of the, the, uh, the collaboration technologies we've put in place. And let's, let's use zoom or some of the others as an example and if you look right now at this screen we're all here virtually there's a bit of a democratization we all have the same amount of screen space when you go into the hybrid environment where some of you are in the office and some of us are virtual and this was a real example i actually heard from the global cio of zoom he recounted an example of where in that situation with zoom technology if you don't reinvent the conference room to handle hybrid you're not going to have a good experience. And he recounted an example of someone who was doing a presentation and stood with their backside to the camera. They forgot, and the conference room was not designed with this new hybrid reality. And so while we talk about technologies, whether it's Zoom or Teams or what may be, if you're not talking to people like Sarah about how do I redesign the physical to accommodate the new capabilities with the virtual, you're going to miss some huge opportunities. So how do these things, Sarah, you're on mute, play into, yeah, go right ahead. Sorry, you were saying something. Sorry. Um, I was going to say, I love something that Eddie said earlier, and that was about how, uh, you know, he's at the CIO conference and where are your real estate people? Because uh, one of the challenges that we often run into is that while AV spending is up in physical workspaces, they are often not brought to the table until late in the design process. And so that presents a challenge for us if we're already down this rabbit hole of, all right, we've got your rooms laid out, we understand you're going with this general package, and actually, oh wait, we're in construction, and we've now got all this information about how you want your conference room set up. How do we balance the fact that, all right, we need to change the acoustics, we need to change how you know microphones are operating in the room. Sometimes the shape of the room would be better served depending on what kind of technology you're planning on installing. But now that we're into construction, 
those changes are much more expensive than if we had had that preliminary conversation up front with your uh, with your IT team, with your CIO about how do you want to roll this out moving forward. And by the way, metaverse is going to make it worse, but that's a topic for another webinar. That is a topic for another another webinar. Actually, by the way, on the hologram and the other stuff, we're doing something with Google and got announced. It's the technology is unbelievable. It's the applicability and sort of the forum, right, to, to best enable that. Hey, we've got a couple of specific questions I want to be sure we answer, and I've got a broader question I want to end with, and we've got about 15 minutes or so left. The specific question was from um, David Katz, actually, and the question was, how do we get smart air filters that don't use more energy uh, than Ashbury recommends and not just MER filters? Very specific. I, I'm not qualified to answer that but I'm feeling like there's a few folks on here that could. Da Daniel, you're nodding your head. Do you want to you respond to that? No, I was nodding because you were saying you're not qualified and I was saying, so <laughs> what I do know is is that, yeah, like motor filters are super expensive. Um, you know, the, the better the filter, the more expensive it is. And they have, I mean, these big office environments, man, they're, they're massively expensive, right? So, um, you know, I, I think there's a couple ways price prices can get driven down. One is 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 just you know having buying power using a partner that has you know marketplaces um, across multiple customers to get prices down. So it's you know partners like JLO can do some of that stuff for you. And then the other one is is doing better preventative maintenance or more predictive maintenance. So instead of chasing a very expensive filter every three months, measure the runtime of the unit. And if you don't hit 3,000 hours of runtime, don't change the filter until you hit 3,000 hours of runtime. So, yeah, but I, I, don't, I don't have any, any exact pricing details on which filters are better than, than, than another one, unfortunately. Any other guidance for David or where you could go find it? I've got a JLL engineer for that, so we can uh, reach out and connect you with someone that can tell you a lot more uh, about that than uh, than I could ever understand. Right. Awesome. I, I'm and, hold. I, yeah, talk to an MEP engineer, and it's certainly it's a variation if you are working with an existing building versus going into a new building. Um, you know, older buildings with older technology uh, tend to have more cost concerns than newer ones. <laughs> I think we just gave another example of the need to partner with people as we move into this new hybrid age and the things that, that we need. Great example. Awesome. If there are any more questions, please ask them. I, I'm going to kick something off, which is going to take a little bit of time, and I'm going to go straight across my screen, which Sarah put you first. So we're going to do this again. I don't know if it's true. We'd have to get Chuck to agree. Five years from today, we're back on together, all of us, right? Mm -hmm. And we look back. And we said, this happened. What happened actually? Like you take Sarah within your category and you're like super excited. And yes, we did this. And I couldn't be happier about achieving that. What would it be for you relative to office space and technology and how it gets used? Oh, for me, it would absolutely be that we designed workplaces that truly support the needs of the individuals, right? That I could go into the workplace and it's got all of the things I need to be the most productive. And it's balanced by working from third places, whether that's home, the airport, we work, et cetera. 
but that my workplace truly becomes a place where my productivity can soar, I can meet with my team, um, and we're just not there yet. So if we can get there in the next five years, that would be incredible. All right, Eddie, you're still at GLL. You're CEO now, and you're gonna yeah, look back and you're job. gonna say what? <laughs> don't, don't want that job. Um, so I, I think you could even bring me back a year from now, and I think I'll be right on this, and it's a little bit of a riff on what Sarah said. There's so much you can do in your life with the technology all of us have in our pockets or purses. People know there's technology currently available because they're using it. But when they come into the workplace, they're not able to take advantage of it. So I think a year, five years from now, the people that we will be talking about and talking to will be those who figured out how to bring that technology in and give people that better experience. Second part of that is experience is bigger and broader than I'm hot, I'm cold, I want fresh air in the office. It's gonna require, when I go into a JLL office, sometimes I need help from HR, sometimes I need help from IT, sometimes I need it from real estate. Some, people don't care about the, the bureaucracies we've set up for all the right reasons. They just won't call it the Amazon experience. Amazon hides all that bureaucracy from you and they have millions of sellers that can sell and deliver and, and you pay them and they make all of that seamless. That's what we need to do and the people that figure that out will be the workplaces that we all want to be in. Awesome, Brian, what would you say? Personally, I hope I never leave my house again. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm good. Um, <laughs> for those that aren't quite like me, um, you know, I, I really hope, and I, Eddie's, Eddie's touching on it a bit too, is, is this, this frictionless experience of how I get from my home that I don't want to leave to a place that I'm, I'm meeting other people for a highly collaborative session how do I make that seamless and frictionless to tie the type of work that I'm doing with the place that I am going and have that on my phone and just, just map that out for me. Um, and that, that takes into consideration all the stuff that we've been talking about for the past 75 minutes um, of being thoughtful and being mindful and, and developing spaces and processes and work and, and locations that are, that are beneficial to the type of work that we are doing. I think that would be a fantastic story. It would be. Thank you for sharing. Daniel? Well, the other guys have already said a few things that I think will come true. But I think on in the investment side, on, on, on software, I think there's going to be consolidation, in my opinion. There's going to be, there's some big, hard problems to solve, and there's lots of money coming in, and some big players now are... Uh, are seeing those problems and putting investment towards them. Um, so I think there's going to be some some more investment and some really bigger players going head to head to, to build the solutions for the future, like in our industry, which is definitely lagging behind a lot of industries. Agreed. Kurt, what would you say? Yeah, I think a lot of us are saying the same thing. Uh, you know, especially what you know, from Sarah and uh, talking about how do we get our best work done? You know, what what is the right environment for us individually to do our best work? And having a workplace that adapts uh, to our personal needs and is enabled by technology, enabled by the design of the workplace, I think is, is going to happen. Um, I think we're seeing that happen. And I, I don't think it'll take five years. 
Uh, so I guess I, to, to be to directly answer your question, I need to think uh, even bigger. Um, but I think that's something that is coming together around. And we talked about the mobile technology. Um, I think a lot of it comes in that very frictionless environment that only proper design and technology can enable. And uh, I think we will see that. I think it's happening. I'm, I'm excited for the work that we're doing. And, and I know Daniel's business doing very similar things. Um, you know, I'm excited about what we're able to do to really connect the individual with how the workplace responds. Awesome. And then Scott and Ollie, how would you respond? Yeah, I'll, I'll say this. I'll stay away from tech for a minute and just talk about business. A lot of what we the, the holes we ran down today right, were about gaps. I think gaps at an executive level between the people who are planning, you know, technology or, you know, facilities or you know, and you, I, if we were talking about something else, we would have said the same thing around operations or manufacturing or what have you. And I think a lot of that is because we are all now. You know, I think the pandemic in particular, but a whole host of other reasons have got have gotten us to the point where we recognize at the end of the day that everything we do is people centric. You know, you're designing people centric experiences. We're trying to design people centric IT experiences, you know, the whole nine yards. I think we miss in the executive suite, frankly, somebody who's driving just people operations at the end of the day. And if we get that right, it makes it's going to make all of our jobs a whole lot easier at the end of the day. So my hope is that we we take advantage of the lessons we learned in the pandemic and there is a people officer sitting next to the strategy officer the executive officer the technology officer and the operations officer in five years and i think we could fill some of these gaps in awesome ollie my perspective is that we all need to stay completely neutral i have the unique ability to kind of sit there with gcs architects av vendors msps virtual cios and I see it from the ground up the build, right? They're considering all the workloads, the resources, their SaaS applications, where their users are working, um, what Sarah is doing. It's very important. Sarah brought up some really outstanding points is involving the AV cabling vendor on the design and infrastructure build early on in the architecture meetings and the GC meetings. But I'm seeing that every environment is different. Um, I, I, met, I meet with a client at 10 a.m. that loves Teams. That, Client 11 name hates Teams. The guy at 12 o'clock thinks Teams mobility app is horrible, loves Zoom. Um, one person uses Zoho, one person uses uh, doesn't need VPNs, and one person has global travel and does need secure VPNs or SaaS applications. So for me, I, I see a um, a different a different world. I see a lot of LOIs on my desk for office moves. I do see the world repairing itself. This morning, I had the luxury of being in a uh, in a B class REIT in Washington for 42 of their buildings, and in them. Uh, the world's repairing they're fully leased um so i see uh, scott it really is all over the place um and i get at a very layman's ground level working with the clients on the resources i do think endpoint protection mdr things like this are very important as we do go away from brick and mortar to users i think that's we all know that um are we in a dictatorship now that the employee kind of is is holding court we, it feels that way i do think it can the world's going to repair itself. We're going to get back to an environment where you guys are fully leased, and we're talking about these wonderful amenities in these buildings and leveraging the technology um, that we've, you know, equipped them with. So, again, um, I, I'm a little indifferent. I don't want to, um, you know, stake a claim. I do think every environment's different, though. I will maintain that, you know, that position. I think it's fair. I mean, the comment for me, I want, you know, anyone to be able to work the way they want to work in a meaningful way, sort of the way I look at it, and 
my environment I haven't talked about, it wasn't the intent, but you know, I've got well in excess of several thousand conference rooms. And you look about, I'm trying to fully enable the, anyone the way they want to work. So it's a fascinating environment. Hey, we've got just a few minutes and there's a couple questions. And actually the, this question that Stephanie asked, we could spend a whole couple days on it, which is around people counting technology and smart, smart parking guidance. I'm happy, Stephanie, as a follow-up to share everything I know. I've spent a lot on this category in my prior life uh, and my current life, less so on the parking side, but more so on the analytics side. I do think there's a lot of meaning. It's a fine balance between privacy and value in doing that. And then there's a fine line between how you take that data going back to points that every one of you made, actually, about how you make that actionable and meaningful for making it worthwhile to collect. Certainly yeah. on the on the counting technology. I don't know if anyone wants to expand. We just got like a few minutes, but yeah, I won't, I won't answer the question, but I just propose a, a way to think about it. Like for building owners, people counting technology is very different because they're not going to put people counting technology in the occupier spaces because that's that breaks all privacy laws, right? So for an owner, they might count in the lobby, and if they have an observation deck that they sell tickets to, they might count up there, right? Whereas an occupier, people counting technologies, so many use cases, hundreds of use cases for their, for an occupier to buy it themselves and put it in their own space. So you, you gotta think about like, is the building gonna offer that? Probably not. Will the occupier do it themselves? Probably yes. So those are, that's some things to think about in, in that topic really. Yeah, we typically, we work with occupiers most typically and there are, and we offer sensors that are installed to count people and, and, and uh, manage and understand utilization. And I will say, anyone considering doing it, please be transparent. Um, our, our sensors were installed in a newspaper in the UK over the weekend. And those reporters then came in the next morning, not knowing that they had been installed, found these sensors underneath the desks and wrote a news article on their uh, big brother uh, watching them. But in reality, it was to enable them to have the ideal workplace. It was there in order to help the organization understand utilization. There was no, you know, no cameras, nothing like that. Um, it was all there in order to uh, really provide that, um, you know, again, that ideal workplace. And so transparency, uh, work, make sure people understand the benefit and value as to why the sensors are there and, uh, and, and do it early and often. Makes sense. We've got another question. We're not gonna completely get to it from David. And again, maybe the best way, because we literally have like a minute. Uh, I'm always looking at you, Daniel. You did your best in helping him before. A couple of you did. But if you want to reach out and either be a chuck and let David know, you might be able to help or know someone. I think that would be awesome. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. So I think we're near the end, actually. And I don't want to run over for the sake of everyone. Really want to thank all the panelists, all of you. It was a great discussion. We could have spent a lot more time than we did on it. So thank you for your participation and interest and, and uh, active engagement. And then again, want to thank the original sponsors, which is why we're here today. And of course, I have to thank Chuck because without Chuck, he's kept us organized more than you guys ever could imagine before <laughs> this call and during this call. So Chuck, I want to pass over to you and, and thank you and Bill as well. All right, uh, and Scott, we, these uh, webinars are always a uh, combination of effort. Ian in the background, we play playing these ahead. So I will take you up on your offer from five years from now to reschedule 
something that brings all of you back, assuming everyone uh, survives all of this, and uh, uh, get see how some of these predictions went. Uh, Sarah, you know, I, I think I just I, I do have another minute before I close it out, but uh, you know, I've got also uh, some some smaller suburban office building owners, and they look at this and go, "Are, are you out of your mind? We're we're not spending that kind of money on this." And and they they uh, they, they look at some of the tenants that they work with who want to re renegotiate their leases for smaller space, and in the end. Um, I had one where they said they really only uh, freed up about 2,000 square feet, and and he's like, "What am I going to do? I can't." He says, "I can't lease that because we're spending more on construction and and remodeling and egress and ingress, and and, and no tenant's going to no tenant rent is ever going to be able to recover that." So uh, it it does present some problems that the um, you know the owners have to deal with. The tenant improvement doesn't necessarily cover all that, and and some of them as well said, you know, let's just go back to what we were doing uh, before, and uh, just people were, and people were glad to come back in the office. They didn't they didn't really find a big problem with that. So, um, it, I, I think many of the responses that you had are are so valuable to um, provide, especially larger corporate occupiers some guidance so i think congratulations to all of you for that we'll we'll definitely be able to share a lot of that information and people will hopefully they did take notes uh as we were going across i know i was taking quite a few notes so we may we may have to put together an article for that so uh again uh yeah thanks scott for moderating thank you all for being here to our speakers our panelists for your just super valuable contributions to today's sessions. It is a lot of information to process. So hopefully the, not just the uh, live viewing audience, but those reviewing this as a recording will be able to get a lot from it. Um, and uh, for those uh, viewing it as a recording, we're going to be trying to put handouts and some of the links that we sent out in the chat, uh, make those available. So watch for that. Uh, whether you've joined us live or are watching this as a recording, uh, be sure to register for our next webinars. We'll, we'll be talking about next-gen smart building series, uh, digital twins, AI, and more. Uh, there's a, That one has been a consolidated webinar that's going to just cover a ton of information. So do encourage you to tune into that one. That's a week from today on October the 27th. Uh, and then we'll start our Innovation Outlook series, almost really as a follow-up to this one, Workplace and Experience Technologies. That'll be on December 1st to really talk about what were some of the things that we saw in 2022 and what's coming forward. So you'll 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 they'll be able to listen to part of this and it really expand on that. So uh, really excited about that. Uh, we're putting our schedule together for next year. So. Um, a, a lot of you uh, have chimed in about what you wanted to hear more about, so that's going to be exciting. Uh, and also, then uh, for those of you, especially those of you in the in, in the San Jose area, be sure to check out Cortec. That's happening November 15th and 16th in San Jose, and uh, a lot more uh, in-person 
high discussions, uh, just tremendous amounts of resources. I've seen the program on that one. It is absolutely fantastic and uh, definitely encourage you all to to check that out. And if if and for any of our sponsors who want to get that level of access to, they may still have some openings there. So be sure and check that out. So uh, fantastic. Uh, we'll wrap it up here. Wish you all well. Be safe. And until next time, uh, cheers. We'll see you again. Thank you. Bye. Bye.